0: Hello, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, this is uh, Ben Kitchings here. My guest for this episode is Mr. Devin Jansen. He runs a consulting firm. He takes DMT recreationally, which is a, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but he uses it to enter a meditative state. Um, so if you're one of these people that you don't want to listen to that or you're like in an office or with your kids or whatever, Um, you might want to give this episode a listen a little bit later on in the day. Okay, that's it. Enjoy the episode, and I'll talk to you later. Bye-bye. Hello, everybody. My name is Benjamin Kitchings, and I'm here with Devin Jansen. And he is part of DTC marketing actually he runs DTC marketing and we're gonna have an interesting conversation about a whole lot of stuff I'm sure Devin how are you doing this evening
1: Been very well Ben thanks for
0: having me oh you're welcome so I was telling you off off air it's funny to even say that <laughs> I was telling you off air that um we live in a content revolution um so from your perspective how does that How do you see that?
1: Yeah, so it's twofold. Um, One, uh, the content revolution is allowing people from any area and niche access millions of people um, at any standpoint. So you can literally be anywhere with any voice and you do have the same accessibility as... All the big guys, all the enterprise level clients, which prior to this content revolution we're in nowadays, you know, we didn't see that you had to have the money to get yourself into the general media patterns and into in front of all these people. So what I'm seeing with that as a business owner and a little bit about me and what I do is I help businesses scale from that one to $3 million kind of point. You know, you've had some success, you have consistent earnings, you have a product, but you haven't quite been able to figure out how to use content and use the internet to really accelerate your business growth. Um, it's really interesting, especially all the different levels and seeing how it's expanded my view very globally to how many people there are actually out there.
0: There's a lot of people.
1: There's a lot of people. And I think we stop at about 9 to 10 billion and then decline. So I don't think there'll ever be too much people. But it's a. Uh... It's it, it's absolutely insane how many people you can reach, and on these really niched out topics too. I've had the opportunity to work with some really interesting uh, types of businesses. Um, a lot in the health and wellness space, um, you know, energetic medicine. I work with some monks at a Spring Forest, Minneapolis. Who knew there was a monastery with monks in Spring Forest, in Minneapolis, and using energetic transmissions to help improve people's lives through blessing them um, and linking energetic back.
0: transmissions. Is that like? Yeah. Um, When I was a kid, I saw this video of Buddhist or Tibetan monks literally raising their own body temperature and turning ice cold blankets into like just steaming hot, you know? Like like that? Or like, what are you talking about?
1: Yeah, exactly, like that. Like, so, but tapping into, so this is something where, you know, there is a bit of belief attached to this, Um, whether or not, you know, you believe it to be or not, it's dealing with subtle energies. So things that can't be seen, things that aren't really necessarily proven yet. You might also notice prayer. So this is that Mm. tapping into that field that kind of connects to everything. Mm -hmm. and sending out transmissions. Uh, So this is based in Qigong. So out of uh, Bhutan is where the monks originate from. But then they also have a monastery in Springfield, Minneapolis there. uh, Spring Forest, Qigong is the name of it, Mm -hmm. with Master Chun Yi Lin there. Um, And yeah, just really interesting to have exposure to these people and then see what they're doing and how much actual, I guess my belief in it grew through seeing how many people are actually getting benefit from it and then using it
0: myself. Mm Mm-hmm. I mean, I've certainly had, I've certainly experienced in my life certain things that run counter to, you know, the, I guess what you call the, the three dimensional experience of of humanity, like the, like the physical world, you know. Absolutely. I can remember for, for example, for years before I even knew what a podcast was. I remember I had this recurring dream where I'd be running a radio station and I'd be like, I, I, that's not in my background, you know? Like, why would I do that? And I was thinking about that today. Like, this is it.
1: <laughs> but don't you find, at least in my life it's been shown, that, you know, you yeah. see, I've seen an accruance of skills that generally weren't related. Some that just kind of fell by the wayside. That just in the last, like, eight to nine years for me of all just kind of coalesce where it's like, Oh, I realized why I learned that now
0: then <laughs> I never thought, so I used to edit video. I never thought I'd edit. Vi- I never thought I'd edit any clips together again until mm-hmm. I started doing a podcast, mm-hmm. you know, things like that. Yeah. I mean,
1: yeah, I got, yeah. got into creating videos and I learned how to computer code when I was in high school playing, uh, this, um, massive multiplayer online role playing game called, uh, Ultima Online. So me and my friends wow. got into like building and coding worlds, right? And then after mm-hmm. that, I complete. I never took any university education in computer science. Nothing beyond that, like just doing that for fun. But then for years, like a good decade, just like ran away from that tech part of myself mm-hmm. until getting into what I do now and and helping people and realizing that that's a big part of it. But it's all just literally that that basis that i built back then playing a game as a 13 year old child um and how that connects and then you know in 15 yeah. 16, like learning how to ev- edit videos because i wanted to create ski and snowboard movies right it's just mm-hmm. yeah it's insane how you things just connect completely unrelated
0: so go okay so tell me the nuts and bolts of what it is you do for these companies
1: Yeah, so what I do is I help take what is a digital marketing or a website and turn it into an experience. Um, I believe we're entering the experience economy, and that's what everyone's really here for. So too often what we see translated on the internet is basically a scrolling experience where you're viewing something as though it's a page, um, or you're viewing something where you have lots of options to go places. Uh, What I try to do is create experiences for businesses where it draws in their audience um, and really treats the people that are coming across their items as guests Um, so they're that ultimate host Uh, and i do that through creating websites i do that through connecting those with different messaging mediums you know right from figuring out their front end traffic solutions so whether it's paid advertising or organic search all the way through to how you wow them on the product Mm -hmm. um yeah, and I've done that through being very focused on the, my product, which is just over delivering with people. So I don't actually market my own marketing agency. I'm just recently starting to build my own website. Um, but I've always just put myself and my clients first and aligned myself with their needs to consistently just have more business than I could complete. So I'm now thankful to be at a point where I've... Uh, grown the part of myself when it comes to leadership and delegation to be able to open up my offerings by having coached, not just my clients, but also team members to be able to take over some of the load. So,
0: yeah, I mean, I, I, um, I talked with a, I guess a futurist, I guess that's what you'd call it, um, recently. And we talked about, I don't know if you heard it, but we talked about exactly what you just talked about about how we're entering into the experience, uh, like the internet's going to become an experience. Like, a, a Well, it should be right experience. now, yeah. right?
1: Do you not think it's very like two-dimensional of us for the fact that we have these screens in front of us where we can render images and things in any way we want, but yet we choose to experience it as though it's a big, giant newspaper or catalog?
0: I'm the wrong person to ask that question of because I have a lot of friends now that I know virtually, right? I have a lot of friends that I Mm -hmm. know virtually now because of this podcast. Like I've kept in touch with a whole lot of people.
1: So the podcast is an experience, right? And that's what I'm referring Mm -hmm. to versus what I'm referring to Mm -hmm. is say you go to any website really um, Mm -hmm. and you look at it. It's just a page of paper. Like you could take that off of a screen Mm -hmm. and it could be a piece of paper right and you could flip through it page by page right a podcast to me is totally an experience part of the experience economy because you're putting yourself in a conversation that you wouldn't normally be in you know that's i think you know and i hope this is one of those podcasts but that's one of those that that's what makes podcasts in a lot of new media so powerful is you have the experience of being involved with something that you wouldn't have the opportunity to be involved with otherwise does that make
0: sense it makes total sense, and I'll tell you, I'll tell you uh, something that a piece of advice that a podcast fellow podcaster uh, gave me very early in, in my experience. Um, I asked him on his show, "What do you th- why do you think podcasting is so popular? Listening to podcasts, whatever?" And he said, "Because people want to want to listen to conversations between people hanging out," hmm. and I thought, I took that to heart. I got to tell you, I took that to heart. Um, you know, I, I used to do COVID episodes. I don't do those anymore, but I stand by all my Spanish flu stuff. Um, but I find really the most interesting podcasts are these free form conversations that I just have with people. Like, they're just really fascinating.
1: Absolutely. You I mean, know, it's <laughs> like. Where do you go, right? And, and what does it what does it look like to just just enjoy conversation and and go back and forth? And that's something that I see missing from a lot, especially you know in if you go into politics and everything where people don't really stand for anything anymore um, in the sense, especially I'm, I'm from Canada. Right. So, so we see it over here where it's like, you know, our parties, they both poll their audience and say, well, what would you like? And they choose the moderate enough so they can just get enough to be in power instead of saying, here's our ideas, you know, And, and standing for leadership of ideas. And that's really what I try to bring to Mm. to my business and to, you know, when I'm working with other businesses is like, what does it look like for you to stand for what you stand for? What does it look like for Mm. you to be both inclusive and exclusive at the same time? Um,
0: Mm. So what do you think um, the internet's going to be in five years?
1: Uh, In five years, the internet is going to be in a state of division um, in the sense where you're going to have Partially, fully, just on screen still. Then the other part will all be experienced through augmented reality and virtual reality, Mm -hmm. Um, and that's really where it's going to move like more fully into an experience where you're interacting with things and you're not just interacting with the screen. Wow. That's, that's what I see happening in a way. And whether that's, you know, us wearing, you know, lightweight glasses that allow us to have a universal augmented reality experience or like even now, and this is where I'm moving towards with my company. Is getting everyone who's on the team to have the Oculus um, so that you can have virtual meetings in in Mm an actual space and like use your screen, but also, you know, be engaged. Because one thing that I find so part of my business is not just working with clients and helping businesses, but it's also working with people in the developing world and nations so philippines Mm -hmm. nepal india um bringing them up and then paying them more than they would make as freelancers and giving them stability and really seeing what i can do there and helping um grow that so having people though that are working you know the other side of the world someone behind mm. a screen they're not always engaged you know especially if you know something else is going on in their life or that but once you move that into a physical space where now you can see each other's movements you can physically collaborate on a whiteboard that's virtual um mm. it creates a whole another world uh i've just recently had the opportunity to try this so we're just going to start trying to implement this in the next six months here just yeah but it's uh something where i can see there being huge gains just for that kind of experience um productivity I'm and right. also yeah go ahead.
0: No, no you go ahead then I'll interject.
1: Oh, I was just I just just, I was just out with a friend prior to getting on the call here and uh, he, we mm-hmm. were talking about how I see it being a flip. So currently social media people are there and it's basically demeaning to them. you know it's like they see this perfect example of people on social media and they're like, that's not me. But I think the new fear when it comes to virtual reality is going to be people can be in there and they can be that perfect self. But not have that in their real life, so it's like there's going to be a flip of the escapism.
0: I see an interesting phenomenon that I understand because I'm part of it. But when I stop and think about it, it's completely bizarre to me. And I'm going to tell you what that is right now. Okay. Yeah, I have a tw- I have a Twitter, and a Facebook. Okay. I literally wince when I go on Facebook. Okay. I'll mainly go on there to promote my podcast. I'll go on there to put my podcast on podcast boards and like that. And then I'll like go to the the top three thing, like the top three little Facebook posts or whatever. Mm -hmm. And then I'll stop. (laughs) Like Twitter I look forward to opening up Twitter. So here's, the, here's the weird part. Most of the people on th- Twitter that I follow, by which I mean maybe all but maybe three or four, are strangers to me, like mm-hmm. in real life. I are, you know, AFK, as they say, away from mm-hmm. keyboard. But a lot of these Facebook people I've known for decades. I this is completely strange to me and also like totally normal.
1: <laughs> but isn't that the, uh, yeah, I get exactly what you're saying, but isn't that the amazing thing where I yeah. think it's allowed us to access people that are basically cast a wider net for our social circles to hey, yeah access people that are on and not to like demean the people in, in your regular life, but like depending on where you're from, how big the town is or small the town is, you know, your personality type and whatnot and your level of ambition, the people that are around you or that you've come in contact with may not be of that same caliber, right?
0: It's not, it's not a caliber thing. It's more like my actual friends. Most of them have gone off Facebook. Yeah. Like the, the people that I would have been there with like 10, 15 years earlier have gone, they've, they've left. And so I text the people that I want to keep up with. Mm Mm-hmm. But, like, I've just noticed, so when you say Oculus, my, my alarm bell went off, and I was like, oh, I don't know if Oculus is going to be with us, like, for, for a while. But Well,
1: Oculus is, uh, when I refer to that as the hardware, they have the best hardware right now when it comes to the items. And it's just more, they're, they're trying to be the hardware company, they, they're part of Meta, but... Mm-hmm. Um, well, the funny thing is with all of this, right, and so this is just like the sell part, is I do not use any social media um, at all. Uh, so all of my social media is taken care of for me by people in my agency. Um, all I do is I add my voice notes and recordings to a Trello board, and they move through the production pipeline, end up on social media. I have team members who take care of the messages. Um, personally, for me, if it's uh, something that I'm doing with people, it's I'm doing it with them. So I live, mm. I'm thankful enough to live in the mountains um, and I love biking and skiing and that. So it's just like, if I'm going to connect, I'm going to connect, you know, out there doing the things um, and enjoying it. And even that, like it's a, even though I need it for my business, I have such a hard time taking photos and everything when I'm out doing my things because it's just like I'm, I'm in the moment, um, enjoying it. So,
0: yeah, I mean, that's the other thing about social media that's so strange is that so, like, I have a friend that passed away um. before Facebook. So, like, my... I always do this where I'll, like, what would Brandon think of this? You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. Like, what would he think about X? And not just Facebook, just anything. Like, what would he like that? Would he think that's cool? Or I don't know. Like, it's like go back 20 years ago and think... Yeah. 20 years ago, I would have thought this was stupid, <laughs> you know?
1: Well, and yeah, I yeah. completely agree. I do that often. It's like yeah. with pretty well, most things when they're not being used for, and this is just the one foul, fault that I have as a entrepreneur is if it's not involved with business or product, what I determine to be productive, right? Mm-hmm. It's the question arises is like, well if it didn't exist, would I be using it right now? Or what would I be doing to add to my life? So what I'm not, that's why I don't use social media and screens that often, unless I'm working in behind them. Because the second I'm done working, it's I try to and you know, not always 100% But it goes to that. Can I be social with someone right now? Can I be working on drawing painting? Can I be working on playing guitar? Um, Any one of those meditation or fitness, right? Or just my nutrition and like, taking care of the household. Um, it's, it's always just one of those struggles where it's mm. that, that carrying through And I, it, you know, I, it's interesting because I work and I don't know where your relationship with like the personal development sphere is um, mm. I have uh, several, quite a few of my clients are, are in that sphere as far as they, they take and train that. And when it comes to, I have a kind of a love-hate relationship for that because I often wonder if like the reason why I feel I need work-life balance is just because I was told I need work-life balance or am I not meant to achieve my goals and then throttle back then? It's just it's something that rattles around in my brain.
0: That's fascinating. Like the, so, I mean, I have a master's in history. So like, that's interesting. Like did the cheese maker in 15th century Germany, work-life balance, they wouldn't have... You know, right? They they wouldn't have thought about it, right? I Did mean, he eat,
1: sleep, have... breathe cheese? And that was just life, and that was awesome.
0: Right. Or else right? he was just trying to survive, or...
1: Oh, yeah. Or was he so focused on survival that it was like a big concern? Or was he focused on achieving another level up in society, right? Like, we don't know. And it's easy to sit here and be like, man, when times were simpler, especially because, you know, this is the one thing where I envy my friends who have. Your jobs as carpenters or as home builders where it's like well you leave the house is sitting where you left it right you like you can't do this because the computer's always there <laughs> and I work in a, like eight different time zones so it's just like yeah. there's always something right and it, it's just it, so it, how do you put it to it right And it's just that yeah are all the studies that I read and I know mm. actually hurting me because it's keeping me from being who I would want to be?
0: What do you right. mean all the studies you read are they are they hurting? Well, so,
1: yeah, so for instance like you know you need to take um you know taking working less, so taking at least one day off every 7 days, right? Mm-hmm. Cuz you have a law of diminishing returns from productivity over time if you don't do that. That's mm-hmm. the, yeah. I, I forget the exact study. So just the fact that I know that, right? Does that make me then psychologically feel like I need to take time off so I stop myself from working to my full potential? Because that is like working like a worm in my subconscious to to tell me that, hey, listen, you need to take this time right now or else you're not going to keep on being able to keep on. Does that make sense? Mm.
0: No, it makes I – t- I totally get that. I completely get that. And that happens in my life too all the time.
1: Yeah. Yeah, so like I was yeah. listening to a health podcast one time, and the guy was saying he's like, "Yeah, you know, so basically, sitting in a car seat, it's meant to make you feel like defeated in this like low posture position." He's like, "But then again, because I'm telling you that, that might do the same thing." And I was like, oh. <laughs> "Interesting." Yeah, the concept that just telling someone that something does something could be, and we also know the placebo effect accounts for like fifteen to twenty percent of the effects, anyways.
0: So, mm. let me ask you a question. So, getting back to the technology um so how would you turn a website into an experience
1: yeah by having it draw people in and only provide a single choice per screen so Mm. what we have is we have an information overload and people think like oh i have all this these things and i need to give everyone the ability to see all the options all at once but the confused mm. mind doesn't know what it's doing, right? And people can handle. There's this analogy from Donald Miller, who uh, was Storybrand, where he talks about it this way. He's like, you have a person, right? And every time you give them an idea or a concept, it's like a bowling ball. So you give someone one bowling ball, you know, they can hold it, right? You Give someone two bowling balls, they can kind of hold them. You give someone a third bowling ball, it's getting a lot harder. And a fourth one, everything just falls, yeah. right? And that's what it's like when you're giving someone something to process with their information. So when someone's reading a book, right, they're, they're actively engaged in reading and in focusing on just a few words, right? When you send someone to a web page on a screen, we've trained ourselves to like take it all in and kind of scroll and disseminate and go up and down when you look at like scrolling and map patterns. So that's where instead of giving people a lot of things in a single viewport, so what fits a a single screen you want to give just one idea and one concept with one or two options for directions
0: but if you think about it like we don't read scrolling like we do now but like books you know you you read left to right or in some cultures right to left
1: yeah but when you come to a blog post right what do you do you scroll do you go line by line right away or do you scroll kind of through it then you scroll back up then you pick up the headings Then you walk back through and you you know scan back down and you find out what you want out of it and then you move on to the next thing
0: so there's a blogger that i read there's there's one specific blogger i read that i really respect Mm -hmm. like i really respect this person like just as a person but also as a a mind and I make sure to go over every little comma, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know. Like, I feel like I feel like I'm learning something just by reading their blog. Yeah, about tech. You yeah, know,
1: well, and I, and I fully and people do read blogs. I'm not saying people don't, but I'm saying yeah. that we're, you know, when you're coming to read a blog post, right? that is a focused experience. So you're coming there for that piece of information. What I'm referring to more of the experience of is from like a business directive or a marketing directive. So when I land on a page that's like, you know, promoting a business and we can say, let's just use a plumber, right? Mm-hmm. So say it's a plumber and I'm promoting a plumbing business. If, and I don't actually have any plumbing clients, so this is just going to be fun. Um, so when you walk into the when you go to the main site, right, you can go there and you, if you go to like an average plumber website right now, you'll probably see, you know, a bunch of options to do things. But really, the only thing that matters is what is the current problem that you're facing and how do you take action, right? So all you have to do is then show and then you just have to develop the trust. So how do you do that? Well, you do that instead of saying like, here's all these great information,"s Here's where I work. Here's these offices. Ask a question. What problem are you facing right now? Mm. Right. Give them a choice from there. That's going to take them to the right path to exactly what they need. Cause people, and I use plumbers as an example, cause a good plumber is worth its weight in gold and a bad plumber. is just, you know, the last thing you want is flooded a, a house. bad
0: plumber is a war story that you're always going to remember.
1: Right. Exactly. You so the, it, exactly. And that's just and so when it comes down to it, it's like, you don't need to put all this time and effort into, you know, into creating all of these different options for people to see, oh, we do this kind of plumbing. Oh, we do these kind of things and this. When it could Mm -hmm. very simply just be like, are you here because stuff is messed up? Or are you here because you want to make things better, right? Mm -hmm. So, Mm -hmm. you know, in the same way, you know, you're giving people the choice, but you're also just directing them saying like, hey, and there's an image and something that shows a plumber who's done a good job right? And from there, it can draw you in. And once you move into there, you make your choice, right? It takes you further into that journey. And that's where there's testing involved. So with that, it's like always testing because we're always looking to improve the journey for the people that are taking it. Yeah.
0: Let me ask you a question. Um, so you're Canadian. Yeah. Um, so I'm assuming you, you have Canadian and you just said you have American clients too. Mm. Um, so what's the main difference, you think, between like, American and Canadian clients? Like, Do you have any British or European clients or Asian clients? I
1: have some Mexican clients. Uh, I do have some Asian clients. Um, okay. The uh, Honestly, there's not mm-hmm. much difference when it comes to entrepreneurs around the board. So mm-hmm. I work with businesses before they're going public. So I'm working directly with usually the founder or the owner. And Mm -hmm. there's really uh, the personality structure that really makes up the person who's willing to go through that, especially when you're trying to have a business that's more than a lifestyle business. So it really comes down to, there's nothing wrong with this, it's like there's different levels of entrepreneurship, right? There's people who, you know, want to own their own business, but it's more of a lifestyle business where it's as long as they can cover their expenses and they can make their 60 to 80 K a year. And they're able to this, yes, they all say they want to grow bigger, but they don't act that way. Um, and they're happy with their, you know, 200 to 300,000 year business. And then from there you scale up to 300 to one, then one to three, then three to 10. And once you go three to 10, it's outside of the realm of who I work with. Um, but those, type of people is it it's really cross-cultural because it just requires Mm -hmm. you to be able to wear so many different hats take on so much accountability and responsibility and have faith and trust that the decisions that you make are right and if they're not you're going to correct it so it's like without Mm -hmm. those items you don't really make it to that point Mm
0: -hmm.
1: when it comes to cross-culturally it's It's more so, I think, (laughs) cross-covidly. Like, there's like the the two camps, really, regardless of what country you're in. To be honest,
0: what do you you mean, like cross-covidly? Let's. let's (laughs) Well, there's
1: people. There's people who are, you know, living in a state of mandates are horrible, um, and we're putting all of our attention and effort there, and there's all of these issues going on. Or living in a state of I'm just fed up with this nonsense and this all just needs to end. I don't really care either way. Or following what's being touted by the mainstream narrative um, and viewing it as you know a time of reprise. And then I guess there, there is the final camp of just like there, there's a bunch of opportunity out there um, to capitalize on these items. I, which,
0: think, th- I think there's another camp. Which is. And maybe I just talk to people about COVID. So maybe I, I see it. I think there's a camp of people that is probably actually most people, which is some flavor of um afraid, but not like they're not afraid of it like you should be afraid of the Black Death or something, but like they're afraid of it. But they also realize they have to keep going. Mm-hmm. Um and that's across the world, by the way. Um, but they're looking, there's a hunger for information about this disease and there's a hunger of, um, like people are starting to realize this is going to be with us. This is going to be just something else to die from now. Like there's no end. No, no, there isn't. It's
1: interesting you say the, the hunger for information of it, because that's one thing that I always hit back and forth with, is how do you feel on the monetization of the information surrounding vaccines and COVID items and health 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 items in general. So I do work with some clients and some items and in the info marketing world, there's a lot about this where, you know, for instance, you know, things such as like vaccine secrets, and they build big email lists, and they sell access to information from Harvard medical docs and people talking about secrets with vaccines. Um, I'm just curious, what are your thoughts on the, I guess, morality or ethics behind marketing those items and making money off of those kind of things?
0: I heard you, let me think I don't want, Dead air on an audio-only conversation <laughs> is, is death So hang on just a second <laughs> No, no, um, go ahead The morality of marketing information Okay, here's my thought I, because of things, because of situations I was in early in my life I found out about COVID. I found out some stuff about COVID before some other people in the world, and I actually had a very humbling podcast today um, with a with a person that I consider a friend. Um, okay, and he told me that something that I told him um, might have saved his family because I told him that COVID is not just a cold or a flu okay it's something it affects the nervous system and the and the vascular system and this was like really early in covid okay like really early and so how do i think of the marketing of the stuff around covid i have a google account i have a google ads account i think the idea that we think Google is a university is stupid and outdated. <laughs> First of all, I think the the marketing of information around vaccines is we, we better be glad that it's COVID and not the Black Death. Mm-hmm. Right? Okay? like Because if this were the Black Death right now, there'd be a whole lot of dead people. And it wouldn't be because we don't know any better. It'd be because they're trying to make a buck off teaching off telling somebody Mm -hmm. and there's some and and Vladimir Putin is out there trying to convince people that it's a conspiracy and he's setting up websites for people to go to that's what I think yeah (laughs) so
1: 100%
0: I mean I think it's evil and stupid and foolish (laughs) yeah that's what I think
1: package it up and market it right Mm -hmm. it's a that that goes into the whole other thing right now that just kind of you know i don't know what your knowledge is on the nft space i
0: yeah i have some knowledge about it
1: (laughs) so it's it's just interesting to me how it's the new so you know wolf of wall street
0: Oh yeah, yeah. Right. I so,
1: th- Wolf of Wall Street is th- based off of. Off...
0: I think we're gonna have the same thought, but you go ahead.
1: Yeah, so it's based off of, like the pink sheet scams, right? Like so, mm-hmm. pink sheets like doing like the OTC, so penny stocks, mm-hmm. um, and the same scams that were being ran there mm-hmm. are now being ran as NFTs, and it's really interesting because like the actual effort to the, the amount it would cost to actually put these images on the blockchain would be more than. The images themselves are selling for and so they're just URLs to Amazon web storage buckets that can be switched out with the image at any time Um, it's pretty actually uh, hilarious and interesting but these influencers and especially even people like Mark Cuban like Mark Cuban who I used to respect a lot as an entrepreneur had an NFT Instagram promotional account that he was a partner invested in that he's now like denying whatever but they were literally promoting these rug pulls where they get millions of dollars to the point where even some of these accounts after they clean out the money they would swap out the image for a literal picture of a rug just to be like yo you're an idiot it's just what
0: (laughs) when i started just learning what an nft was like literally just this is what an nft is like Mm -hmm. two sentences three sentences i was like oh that's gonna be a scam oh boy (laughs)
1: it has great potential like that's the thing is like just as a technology like just say like, you know for contract basis well, yeah, great the potential amazing the, right? te-
0: the tech is actually amazing as a technology mm-hmm. but what they're using it for is like oh Joke. That's, a, that's a scam kids oh jesus And it's, and I just
1: don't understand why even these people who I thought were respectable in the field, who I thought functioned out of integrity and alignment, they, they're promoting it and they're getting behind these things. And it's like, like, and they're successful. It's like, at what point, like, it just blows my mind because it's like, do you not have an enough is enough number? Yeah. It's just, it's mind blowing. I, that's, that's the one thing where I just feel like through the, all of this content creation world that there's so much that's being lost when it comes to just like living through integrity.
0: It's just, Yeah. yeah,
1: it's the, you know, the old values of integrity and meritocracy, um, and just following through with that. And that's yeah. the one thing where, especially building a business and working worldwide, I'm very big on the Pareto principle, um, where it's like, you know, 20% of the population is responsible for 80% of the output, Right. And therefore, twenty percent of the population has eighty percent of the wealth. Um, but that's just. And if you take trading games, so if you take a normal distribution, if we if we were to take a room of hundred people, and we were to give everyone in the room um, playing against each other, flip of a coin, heads one side wins, tails the other side wins, you know, over a long enough time horizon, that doesn't sit as a normal distribution, a nice bell curve. It trends to a Pareto distribution where. 20% of the people will have everything and the rest will have next to nothing. Um, and just knowing that, and that's how all natural systems trend to in a long enough time horizon. It, it's really, I think there's this whole myth of like equality um, of outcome without equity of input. And that's one thing I've experienced in my business where it's just like, you know, there's people that just want to try to latch a ride on and take the take the easiest rung and it's very interesting to me
0: mm-hmm. yeah so what's your take on um, bitcoin and crypto
1: Uh, If you're in one of the coins, so for my thing is you go for the major coins if you're going to do anything and stay away from any speculative plays. I'm a very big believer that speculation and usury should not exist as uh, income sources for people. Um, I'm really a big fan of, you know, the the old tradition where usury should be illegal. There's no reason that lending should be your main force of that because that's not actually economic output. And when you play with speculation, um, that's all good and proper, but you're not actually adding to what's going on around you in society and economy. Yeah, mm. So I personally stay out of it. I also have a love-hate relationship with the markets because I worked as a financial advisor for a time and then traded for for quite a while uh, with quite high leverage. Um, and I I got slapped. I, I I put my hand near the fire and I got burnt um, in my younger years. Uh, when was so, that?
0: I'm just curious. Like when was that? That was
1: 2008, 2009.
0: Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. right,
1: right at the CDO bubble. Yeah. Oh, so.
0: yeah. Where were you then? Just curious. In Toronto. Uh huh. Yeah. Yeah. What was I'm just now I'm now I'm just gonna be a warhorse. Uh, what was the housing market like that at that time?
1: Uh, well like in general I I wasn't invested in housing um, Mm. and the actual purchasing there I was just in the market in general um, and I was coming in right after everything dropped uh, Mm. basically going in and picking things up and I had early success um, so I basically I blinded myself to the potential pitfalls I thought I was Mm. I thought I had the Midas touch (laughs) which Mm -hmm. is uh, Mm -hmm. I can read candle charts like nobody (laughs) you know and and all these things so then I was able to secure uh, line of leverage um, that was unsecured against anything else and uh, mm-hmm. I went in and my line was called in my my call was right my bet was right overall um, but what happened was, was my stop loss was called basically my Leverage dipped in, where it's like, okay, you got to pay it out at this time. And I had to close it out because I didn't have enough capital to put in to keep it open. And it Mm. swung back around, though, to higher highs. But because I got called out, I got called out, and it dropped me for everything. So that was like one of those things, a big ego hit, where you can still be right, but you can still lose all you had (laughs) when you play with leverage.
0: Yeah, a lot of times now I say, I hate being right.
1: Yeah, well, exactly. That, that's really when I switched over from, yeah. you know, one of the greatest things I did for myself was I stopped being right because then I no longer had ground to defend, right?
0: Well, I mean, you, you sound like you've actually grown a lot as a person from 2008. Yeah, I try to. <laughs> well, I mean, you're, you're getting into energy things with monks in, in Minnesota. I mean, that's, come on, that's, that's as far as you can get from the housing bubble of 2008 really
1: Well, it just that's my belief too is that it just kind of finds you you know I never set out to create a marketing agency that catered to these type of people but it's just been one opportunity after the other so i'm very rooted in the personal development the plant-based medicine retreat sphere the you know the the whole burning man crowd <laughs> all of those kind of things and it's just very mm-hmm. it just all kind of finds you and attracts you like i didn't go out seeking it I didn't, didn't
0: hmm.
1: position anything about it, um, and that's where I think, you know, when people are ready, the right messages will be shown to them.
0: Okay, but Burning Man crowd, you're talking like the festival in Southern California.
1: Yeah, 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 that festival in Southern California. Who it's is it.
0: stereotypically hippies.
1: Uh, No, they're also like leaders of the military and Google and the tech crowd and entrepreneurial. Um, It's Mm -hmm. very much an experiment on alternative thinking and problem solving. Uh, So Mm -hmm. it's it's wrongfully actually stereotyped as a hippie crowd. Um, Going there, it's one of those experiences where you meet people who are executives from all over the place um, or not just executives like high level engineers and this. And it's about just the, the effort of, so Burning Man itself is rooted in basically saying, what would it look like to create an economy here without the concept of currency? Right. Mm. So, you know, and then that's where the art installation comes in and the whole concept of trade and that. And then it's like, once the experiment is done, we break it down and take it away.
0: People view it. Yeah. I feel like I don't I've talked to so many people. Mm-hmm. I feel like that's a crypto. Somebody in the crypto said, "Well, Burning Man doesn't use currency and this you know." Mm-hmm. But eh. I
1: don't know. They don't. So you trade for everything. So you go there with things and people roll up and they're like, oh, hey, I like this. You want this for this and that. And like you you trade for everything. You can trade your exhibit. You can trade this. And like, you know, obviously it attracts, you know, some very, whenever you have something where it's like, we're going to do an experiment that's outside of the current culture. You're gonna have like the extremes, right? From all levels. But then you're also gonna have a bunch of a bunch of moderates in there too, right? So yeah, you have like the free love tents and the ability to do this. You have the, you know, crazy psychedelic drug use and crazy art installations and partying, but then you also have, you know, focused on solving problems, focused on uh, on other items. Yeah. Hmm.
0: I, I'm. I mean, i have seen the videos of Burning Man. I have, I've never been. I'm all the way across the continent from it, but yeah, hmm.
1: yeah. It's a. Yeah. It's also, it also reminds me of this book that I read ages ago. He um, called debt the first uh, ten thousand, first five thousand years, and really brings me back to that whole like. Uh, there's a – I forget the tribes name in Africa, but the whole concept of a gift economy. Where we create a linking, a relationship between other people through giving. And you never give something back of the same value because that's saying that I don't need you. So you always have to give back something of higher value so that they then owe you one. Or you give something of lesser value, so then oh. you still owe them. And that's like saying, like, hey, we're still connected, right? And this whole – and it takes me back because I was a bartender for years. And I noticed this change where me and my friends, when we first started, like, going out to the bars and hanging out, you know, it would be like, yeah, I'd buy it one week and then, like, whatever. We didn't really care about making it fair, right? And at a certain point, probably, like – I couldn't put Probably, like – eight nine years ago it just seemed like all of a sudden people who were going out they'd be very much like well it needs to be perfectly fair we need to make it we can't have any inequity before we leave this place and i was like what happened to just like buying around for the boys and, and i'm not saying people don't do this but it was just very much i i noticed as a bartender just i guess where i lived but it may have been more universal but i don't want to apply that lens to it that whole switching of the change where it's like you know, well, let's, let's keep an inequity because then you need me and I still need you and we're going to, you know, meet again and then we'll keep this inequity in our relationship.
0: Well, I think, I don't know, but I think that might dovetail with, uh, 2008 because that's, that's when you started or when I started hearing a lot about equity of opportunity and this and that. And so I think, I know at least in the US I started hearing about that and 100% Yeah yeah. And what do you think Now that we're Let me ask you this Now that we are What year is this? 22 When did that happen? Now that we're Now that we're 14 years away from 08 Boy is that Wow that's a long time Now that we're 14 years away from 08 What, what do you look back at 08 and think well that's what happened like that's what changed or that's what occurred or or whatever what changed and what occurred since then because Uh, of 08 like when you look back at 08 like what occurred what did 08 do do you think
1: it opened up the realization as to how much is just literal bullshit like how, how much of, for myself anyways, but just like how much of the actual system that we're a part of is just bullshit. And you can either choose to make your money doing that and participating in it because I was working in the financial sector. So, you know, basically participating in the trading, participating in making things off speculative money, you know, and not really actually providing something for your fellow man and people in society, or you can choose to actually in my opinion, do something that, that could affect somebody in a meaningful way. Does that make sense?
0: I hear that a lot about 2020. Yeah, but for me yeah. it was
1: 08. When I looked at like the CDO <laughs> issue, it's like, okay, well, so basically I could stay in this industry and I could actually probably do really well because now I kind of feel like I've seen behind the veil. Or – I could do something where it actually yeah. kind of fills me up and provides something for people. Because that's what it always comes out to me. And any time I go on like a plant plant journey, you know, whether it's LSD or DMT or, or that, it, it really, you know, I'll always be, not always, but usually in a point where it's just kind of like thinking about roles in life. And, you know, like the gardener who grows my weed and sells it to me, it's like, huh that person's in my life literally just to tend to plant and do this and and that and deeper relationships, but it's just a, There's, there's like that, that whole thing where it's like, well, where, where's the actual purpose? Where's the sense? You know, and, and that's just when I was working in the financial sector and just seeing what was going on and how it's just like, okay. And then seeing the fact where it's like, people literally made the worst decisions as far as like executives in this, but they still justified themselves as to like, you know, being fit for their roles. And it's like, well, when do you actually look upon yourself? I don't know. That's when I go way back to like, you know, uh, the god Marduk? Yeah. Yeah. So there's the legend of Marduk where it's like there's a tribe in I believe South America where it's like the concept of being a bad Marduk where the emperor or the king would have to walk out into the center and flagellate himself naked in front of his followers and say, like, here's how I was bad this year. Um and I think we we do better with more of that from the top down in our society.
0: Yeah. I I do too. Um hmm. So I've never heard, had anybody on my podcast talk about DMT. I've I've never had it, but what's that like? Or do you, do you want to talk about? Yeah,
1: that? oh, absolutely. Um, I, it's it's very much so. I pretty well. I've I'm a psychonaut, so I love I love going through those realms. Uh, not for partying, but for doing it to understand more about myself and about the world around me uh so for instance just to put in perspective as to what kind of psychedelic traveler i am i'm the kind of guy who would take two to four hits of acid and put myself in a bathroom and stare at my own eyes in the mirror for a few hours and just like ask myself who am i um and travel deep inside so when i do dmt it's very much about just letting it take me where it's gonna go and whatever happens happens and asking it to let me go further and further into the the realm, the realm of the clockwork elves is what I call it. Um, Mm -hmm. And it's always for me, it comes down to basically seeing the source code of it all. Um, As far as like, this is what is actually happening, you know, whether you want to say in the simulation or in our, in our world, and our reality, which then pairs actually beautifully with the interconnectedness I feel with working with people like the monks and other energy practices and, just, yeah, knowledge. Mm. And you always, there's too many coincidences. And, and again, this could all just be because subconsciously we're all programmed through archetypal images and archetypes um, and the symbology of you know ancient times all the way through now. But it yeah. seems too coincidental to me the fact that not only is that what I'm seeing, but every time I experience a psychedelic, the experience is similar enough to say that it's not like they're not one off experiences each time.
0: I'm going through this kick right now where I'm trying to talk to people in the Ukraine or that are from the Ukraine maybe. Okay. And whenever I talk to somebody from an unstable region, when I come out of that conversation, my, our politics looks silly to me. Right. Like American politics just looks silly to me I agree entirely oh god oh. you people stop it <laughs> just just look around look at your life and how wonderful it is just stop <laughs> you know like
1: Ugh it's one of the i have a my graphics is my creative director is in tunisia and uh, he was jokingly saying this is over the holidays as we're doing our team christmas party online he's like well you know what's going on over there devin like you guys are so concerned about gender in the states and canada and it's like ah, we wish you know we wish that our biggest concerns would be gender right it's just kind of that whole joke of like you know what a Society gets so concerned about gender politics and gender issues, right? All of a sudden, is the downfall, as some people say about uh, was that ancient Greece?
0: It was. It was Rome and Greece. Rome and but that Greece. That was it. Yeah. Ed- Look, that was Edward Gibbon. I, I don't know if I mean, you know, the modern historians say it had more to do with a climate issue, or like you know, like some volcanoes erupted, or or you know, whatever. But I mean, like, the guy... There was one guy in the Ukraine, and we talked, and we talked, and we talked. And then, you know, he was just telling me about his life, and we were joking, and he was joking and funny. But it's like the the undertones of it were just so scary. Like, even though it was funny, it was scary. Like, really scary, right? And then you come back, and you, you... I log on to Facebook and what's the first thing I see? Like, oh, we're mad about cuz green M&Ms have different shoes. Okay, um Jesus. <laughs> wow.
1: Yeah. Right. It's just like, what do you do? What do you like? It's it's absolutely insanity. That's just why I really stay out of it. And that's the one thing where it's either for the positive or negative part of it. It's like unless it directly affects me or I can directly affect it, it's not in my sphere. It's See, just
0: that's, that's a good that's a good outlook.
1: It can be until all of a sudden, you know, danger's at the gates and you didn't notice it because you were staying awake, right? So that's sometimes I have that thought where it's like, yeah, it might be good for my day-to-day, but what happens if all of a sudden, you know, six months, a year, five years, ten years from now, all of a sudden I look up and it's like, oh, everything's completely different and I didn't even see that coming in.
0: (laughs) Well, see, but that's why I like to talk to people on my podcast because I can learn things. I can learn things I can't see. Mm-hmm. You know,
1: hundred percent.
0: I mean, I learn, I learn more from my from my own podcast than anybody else possibly could.
1: No, oh, yeah, having conversations, like having conversations, teaching other people, and doing that, like it's the synthesizing of information, right? That's the, mm-hmm. the and that's what really, or what really could, comes down to me is just like you're able to. And for me, it's about being able to just talk to people that you would never necessarily have access to talk to otherwise, things that you may or may not agree with at all, which I love doing that. I love going down rabbit holes with people. My biggest thing that I love doing is like going down the complete opposite end of the spectrum of what I believe Um, or this, you know, it's just like take what I know. And, okay, well, what's the opposite camp think? And what does it look like to live like them for three months?
0: or even what is the opposite camp or when the opposite camp tells you something and you're like, okay, wait, shit. Yeah. Okay. That's a point. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, damn it. <laughs> Stop being right.
1: <laughs> well, right. It could it, well, it take you to really new places, you know, even mm-hmm. like just going to the physical level. I was working, I was working as a uh, fitness trainer for a while. And in there, it was like I was very big on strength training and, like, you know, paleo and eating meat. But I was like, okay, well, what does it look to live like a vegan for three months, right? And I went down that rabbit hole and did it. And, like, I was like, okay, well, for me personally, I don't notice a big benefit, right? But for other people, they do. I can see why you do it. It's just like any kind of health choice. But now I can say I've done it. I could say I've lived that. So now when I'm talking about it, you know, and I find even though I didn't find benefit from it, it removed any like real bias or prejudice I had to people making that decision.
0: Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, that's the thing about talking to people like is like everybody who actually knows me says like everything, every time we say anything, you say, I get it. (laughs) I get it. (laughs) You know, like, yeah, because, oh, because there's a guy who told me that or there's a girl who told me that or or there's three people on three different continents who told me the same story. Right. And that overlap
1: is that overlap is amazing and just, you know, crazy at the same time.
0: (laughs) It's like, look, we're all just people. I mean, (laughs) you know. Right. We're all just people. Huh. So let me go back on this email make sure we, because your assistant or you wrote this stuff out. So how do you use stories to grow, um, to grow a business?
1: So you use stories by understanding um, firstly that everyone is the hero of their own story and your business is just playing a part in it. So, going even a step further is that stories are a piece of technology they're actually like the original piece of technology that allow us to learn things and a story has a classic part there's actually only seven some would say even three plot lines that exist. Um, so you can turn any conversation or any point of contact you have with a business owner uh, or with a club, with a guest. I call them guests. People call them clients or customers, but they're always your guests. You're hosting them um, by just looking at you know what's the story that they're coming in, what's the story that you're looking to be a part of for them, and then what's the story your business is looking to tell. Uh, and that's why uh, I believe in putting everything down to a story. And even in software, this is a commonly adopted thing it's the user story. What is the user story? Right. And it stems from as a blank type of user, I want to do something so that I can achieve some goal. Um, and that's really what it means.
0: Well, thank you, Devin. Thank you for coming and thank you for being my guest.
1: Beautiful. Well, lovely to have this conversation, Ben. I really enjoyed
0: it. As always, folks, I'm having a good day, and I hope you are, too. All right, everybody. Bye-bye. I'll see you next time.